Hi, I'm Tyler Sultze, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our desire at Grace Bible Fellowship is to proclaim the Word of God for the glory of God. At the center of our proclamation is the one who is Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We base who we are and what we do upon the good news of Jesus. If you would like to know more about this good news or would like to know more about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. That's www.gbfperu.org. I'm glad you've decided to listen to the teaching of the Bible along with us as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. Of David, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it and let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him? Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing like profane mockers at a feast. They gnash at me with their teeth. How long? O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng. I will praise you. Let not those who rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those who wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not seek peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me, they say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. 
and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is a day that you have made, that we could be together to draw our minds to you, to focus on your goodness and on your love towards us. And we thank you for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's because of him that we are here today because of him that we have life today, new life. It's because of him that we have hope for tomorrow. And Father, we are reminded that we do not know what each day holds, but you know. There is uncertainty knowing that we can't control each day but there is comfort knowing that you can and do. We praise our Savior, Jesus Christ, who sustains all things and upholds all things by the word of his power. And so our lives, Father, are propped up by our Savior. If it was not he sustaining us, if it was not he holding us fast, if it was not he giving us life, it was, if it was not he giving us that living water, the bread that satisfies our soul, we would be in utter ruin and devastation. But we praise you that we are not because you have saved us. You have rescued us. You have called us. And you've opened our ears so that we've heard the call and we've come to you. Not because of anything that we are, not because we are special, but simply because you are the God of sovereign grace and mercy. Father, I pray that even now as we go to your word this morning, we would hear the voice of our Savior. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy, my yoke is light, and find rest. So may our hearts find rest in our Savior's soul today. 
Father, I pray that you would give me physical strength and spiritual energy to speak your word with faithfulness, clarity, authority, passion, wisdom, humility, and liberty. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way through some of the Psalms. We began in Psalm 29 as we were separated for a time. And Lord willing, we will be back to the book of Galatians soon. But this morning we come to Psalm 35 to hear from our God, His revelation to us, who He is. And what I love about God's Word, one of the things I love about God's Word is it is always working. God's Word has been working over the past eight weeks, ten weeks. I haven't, I've lost track. And God's Word was working before then, and God's Word is still working now, today. And that's why I can get up here Sunday after Sunday because I know God's word is working and will accomplish its perfect work. And let me say this, I hate talking on video. <laughs> I hate it. And so I'm glad that we have this time together. As we think about Psalm 35 this morning, have you ever been wronged? Have you ever experienced injustice in your life? Had something that was done to you that was not right and you had a strong sense of wanting judgment, wanting justice, wanting vengeance, wanting that person to receive some sort of punishment because of what they had done to you? Something is built into us to recognize injustice, particularly when it comes to ourselves and our own lives. You might even have a laundry list in your own heart and own mind of all the things that people have done to you, all the ways that they've hurt you or wronged you. And the worst thing that you can do is go over that laundry list time and time and time again. Because what happens? What happens when you do that? What happens when you start to keep a record of wrongs of all the ways that you've been hurt? It doesn't make you joyful. It doesn't make you pleasant to be around. What happens is uh, bitterness starts to sink into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, and that root begins to take hold of everything that you are. When you think about all the ways that maybe you've been wronged or hurt, sometimes we might want those who have wronged us or hurt us to suffer for what they have done to us. You want them to know as much hurt or hardship or pain that you knew because of what they did to you, if maybe sometimes you might want them to know more pain or hardship or suffering 
than what you had to go through. Do we all have a little bit of the apostle James and John in us? What we might call the James and John syndrome. Do you remember what that is? James and John were brothers. They, were, they had the nickname the Sons of Thunder. That would be a, a pretty impressive nickname to have. They were a part of the inner circle of Jesus. They, uh, they had seen the transfiguration with Jesus Christ. They had seen when Jesus had been transfigured before their eyes. And Jesus had just told them, as I struggle, Jesus had just told them he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer many things. He was going to be delivered into the hands of, of lawless and sinful men. And he was going to be mocked and ridiculed and spit upon and shamed and finally be killed. And on the third day, rise again from the dead. And as he had just told this to them, now they are making their way to Jerusalem. They're going to stop in a city of Samaria. And Jesus sends his disciples ahead to prepare a place in that city. But the people of that city rejected Jesus. They said, we don't want Jesus to stay here. And James and John, if you remember, they wanted to take matters into their own hands. Who are these people of Samaria to do this to Jesus? Don't they know who Jesus is? He is the Messiah. If they don't know who he is, they'll know by the time that we're done with them. And so what do they ask Jesus? Jesus, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? You know what he's saying? He's saying, you want us to replicate what Elijah did with the prophets of Baal when he called down fire. And then they took all the prophets of Baal and they slaughtered them in the brook of Kishon. They thought a little retribution is in order. A little vengeance is in, is in order. Jesus, do you want us to take this matter into our own hands and teach them a lesson for what they have done to you? Do you want them to receive what they deserve for rejecting you and us? And how many times in our life would we think, how great would it be if I could call down fire from heaven on the people that cause injustice in my life? That'll show them. That would make them think twice about messing with me. Not only would they get what they deserved, but you would also be able to vindicate yourself. You would be able to save yourself. You would be able to deliver yourself. You would end up being the hero of your own story. But rep retribution and rescue are not in our hands. They are not ours to dole out. Praise be to God. <laughs> we are not the determiners of justice, of what is right and wrong. And we have no clue to what people really deserve. And we should thank God for that. Retribution and justice and rescue are in the Lord's hands. They're not in our hands. They are not ours to accomplish. They are not ours to perform. It is God who does these things in his perfect timing and in his absolutely just way. 
Psalm 35 is what's called an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory in the sense where you call down curses upon your enemy. These kind of psalms might make us uncomfortable. Should we really be singing about this? It doesn't seem that loving. It doesn't seem that harsh. Or it, does, it seems harsh. It seems wrong. But I think we need to think about it again in the context of the cosmic battle that has been raging from Genesis 3. The seed of the serpent that's fighting against the seed of the woman. There are those who are on the Lord's side and there are those who aren't on the Lord's side. How are we to think about these things? Far too often we forget that we are in a spiritual battle. That there are some who are diametrically opposed, violently opposed, and even evilly opposed to us and to Jesus Christ. So what are we to say? To those people? What are we to say to God about those people that are against Jesus Christ? I think we should rightly say, Lord, bring repentance in the life of those people, but if it's not repentance, take them out of the way. What would you have been praying for Saul? Saul was going from church to church, it was ravishing the church. Lord, either save Saul or get Saul out of the way. And what did God do? He saved Saul. He saved the unsavable. He loved the unlovable. So there is an appropriate time when there are those who we know who are particularly against Jesus Christ that I think it's appropriate for us to say, Lord, either save that person, rescue them, bring repentance into their life, but if not, remove them, get them out of the way so that your gospel can go forth, so that your kingdom can expand, so that your will will be done in this earth. We have to read Psalm 35 in the context of the Lord's anointed king. We know from Psalm 34 that David, God's anointed king, has been on the run. He's been under continual threat. He's been under danger from Saul. And most likely in our last psalm, he was hiding out in a cave. Life was difficult and hard. Life was uncertain. David didn't know what was going to happen next. He knew he had enemies. He knew he had people who were hunting him down. So what was he going to do? What was he going to say in the midst of that? And so I want us this morning to learn what we can from the Lord's anointed about the retribution and the rescue that comes from the Lord himself. What can we learn from the Lord's anointed king about retribution and and rescue that comes from the Lord himself. So this morning, five, five truths we must learn. Number one, as we learn from the Lord's anointed, we learn the Lord's anointed pleads for reassurance. The Lord's anointed pleads for reassurance. What do you think about when you think about the Lord? 
What is the Lord like? Who is he? How would you describe him? How do you picture him maybe even in your mind's eye? What is it that he does? There are many false ideas about God in our world, that he is like a grandfather figure, that he is like Santa Claus, that he is like a genie in a bottle. But we have to gain our understanding about who God is from his word and what is fascinating here at the beginning of Psalm 35 is how the Lord is portrayed. The Lord is a divine warrior. He is a fighter. And David calls upon the Lord to fight or to contend. And you see this picture of God holding a shield of protection, a small shield and a large shield. That's the idea there. Take hold of shield and buckler. One of those, that shield would have been a small shield, a personal shield. A buckler would have been like a full full-size shield that would shield your whole body. So here it is, God holding up this shield of protection. He also has a spear or a javelin in his hand showing that he is ready to fight, ready to contend for the Lord's anointed. And think about the contrast here of what we know from the rest of God's word. Saul, before this, had already tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. Or Saul had already tried to pin his own son Jonathan to a wall with a spear. And now we don't see the spear in the hand of Saul any longer. Now we see the spear in the hand of God to fight for his people, to fight for what is right, to fight for his way. It's now used to show God's power and so that God might get all of the glory God is going to fight for his anointed. And it takes us all the way back to the Red Sea. It takes us all the way back to what God did as he led his people through the Red Sea, as he parted the Red Sea. And as they made their way through that and got to the other side, a song broke out. And in that song, Exodus 15.3 says this. This is what they sang. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord fights for his anointed and contends for him. And so now David pleads for this. He pleads for God to fight for him because he knows that God is always victorious. God always wins. And this pleading now for reassurance for the Lord to fight for him goes all the way down to his soul. He needs words of comfort from God himself. Do you know someone today who needs words of comfort? Who needs words of encouragement? Maybe you would even say, yes, I do, and it's me. I need words of encouragement. What is it that these words of reassurance will do? They will comfort our hearts and souls. And we want this reassurance to come from God himself. We want these words to come from God. God, unless you offer the assurance to me, no other assurance will do in my life. And what is the reassurance that God is offering or that David is pleading for? I am your salvation. When you know 
that God, the only God, the true God, is your salvation, that your salvation rests completely on him, you can know it is certain, unwavering, dependable. Take it to the bank salvation. You will need no other salvation. When God says, I am your salvation, that's it. That's all that you need. That's all the reassurance that your heart needs. And don't separate God and salvation. If you want salvation, if you plead for reassurance that you know his salvation, but you don't want God, there is no salvation to you. The only comfort is that God is our salvation because the only salvation that ever could accomplish what needs to be done can be done by God himself. God is our saving God. And think about it. What do we get when God says, I am your salvation? What do we receive when we hear those words from God? We receive God himself. God is the means to bring about salvation in our lives, but he also is the ends of our salvation. We get God. Why do we need to hear God say, I am your salvation? Because we want God. He is the only one who can reassure our hearts and our souls. What words could be more comforting to you today? What other words would you long to hear here? These words provide the comfort your soul is longing for, is wanting. And so the Lord's anointed pleads for reassurance. But number two, the Lord's anointing, or the Lord's anointed is also petitioning for retribution. So the, Lord, uh, the Lord's anointed pleads for reassurance. Those were the first three verses. Now, the Lord's anointed petitions for retribution. These are verses 4 through 8 and 9, 19 through 26. We see the, the description of the wicked who are against the Lord, against his anointed. They devise evil. What does it say here? They are like chaff. Chaff is uh, that husk around the, the head of wheat, the stalk of wheat that would need to be removed before you could could crush that grain. And this is what David says the wicked are like. They are like chaff. They need to be driven away. It actually takes us all the way back to the very beginning of the, the Psalter, to Psalm 1. There it says this in verses 4 through 6, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You hear that promise. The way of the wicked will perish. It will be done away with. And how is this accomplished here back in Psalm 35? Well, it's the angel of the Lord, isn't it? The angel of the Lord that's driving them away. The angel of the Lord that is pursuing them. It's almost like as they're on this dark and slippery way, they're trying to get away. They're trying to escape, but their way is so slippery. They continue to fall, to be overtaken by the angel of the Lord himself. And we see a, a stark contrast here between Psalm 34, when we're told the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. He is protection for those who fear him. But for those who are wicked, for those who are against the Lord, he's pursuing them. 
not in a good way. He is driving them away. They will not succeed. They will fall into their own trap, into their own pit that they've dug for the Lord's anointed. They will not escape God's vengeance. This is the heart of the petition. It's asking God to act. It's not David doling out retribution on his own. It's not David taking matters into his own hands to bring about justice. But this is what's so difficult because when we are, wrong, when we are wronged, we want to take matters into our own hands. We want to become judge and jury. We want to carry out the punishment. But that's not what David is doing. Instead, he leaves it in the Lord's hands. Think about what it says in Romans 12, 19. Behold, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord. God's justice and God's vengeance are always right and true. It is his prerogative to take vengeance. It's on account of his holiness and his name and his glory that retribution comes upon the wicked. He will repay and he will repay appropriately. But then we get to verses 7 and 19 which are key in our understanding of why such a petition of retribution is appropriate. It's because the wicked are acting this way towards the, Lord, toward the Lord's anointed without cause. They're hating him for no reason. He's done nothing. He is completely innocent. They have no legs to stand on as to why they are doing this. They are doing this with no justification or right whatsoever. And it's right here, particularly verse 19, that we learn something about how to read this song. Because it's this verse, that last part of this verse, who hate me without cause, that Jesus actually quotes in John 15, verse 25, when he says this, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Jesus reads this psalm as if it's talking about him. Jesus is in his final discourse here in John 15 is telling his disciples, you will be persecuted because I am persecuted. I've done marvelous and miraculous works among these wicked people, but they hate me. They hate my father. But all of this is fulfilling the scripture. All of this is fulfilling what was spoke of me in the scripture. And think about how this is applied to Jesus. He was delivered into the hands of sinners, wicked men who hated him and who would not be satisfied with anything less than his death. They were deceitful, and they sought his destruction. They had no legitimate reason, no cause on account of something that Jesus had done wrong. He was the perfect son of God who always did the will of the Father, and yet they devised words of deceit. They hid a net. They dug a pit. And for all of that, for all that they had done against Jesus, how they hated him without cause, what happened? He was killed. 
but he rose again from the dead. He was vindicated, and that's what David is praying for here in this psalm. Verse 23, Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. It's a request to be shown to be in the right. And it comes about through the Lord's righteousness and God triumphing over the Lord's anointed enemies. It's for his vindication. We know that Jesus was vindicated because he rose again from the dead. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus' triumph over the grave is his vindication. There were those who thought that they had swallowed up Jesus by putting him to death. They thought that they were victorious But just as they thought they had swallowed Jesus up, Jesus was in fact swallowing up the great enemy, the enemy of death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the vindication that all those who are in Jesus Christ know because we have been raised with him because our life is in him. Number three, the Lord's anointed praises for God's rescue. The, Lord, the Lord's anointed praises God for rescue. Verses 9 and 10 and 17 and 18. There is a certainty that God will bring retribution upon his enemies. And it's through that judgment, it's through that retribution that actually brings about salvation, that actually causes the Lord's anointed to be rescued. And what happens then when the Lord carries out his justice upon the wicked? The righteous rejoice. When God saves and delivers, he is putting on display his incomparableness. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? That's what you say when you experience God's salvation. That's what you say when you experience his rescue. And that's precisely what David says in this psalm. Verses 9 and 10. O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor? That's who the Lord is saving. The Lord is saving those who are poor. He's caring for them. He's loving them. And in fact, isn't that what Jesus says? Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, 1. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to who? To the poor. So God is the God who saves the poor. Saves those who are weak. Saves those who have no strength. Saves those who are needy. And who is that but us? We are the poor. We are the needy. 
we have nothing. And that's why we rejoice in his rescue. Number four, the Lord's anointed prays for the ruthless. The Lord's anointed prays for the ruthless. This is the crux of the psalm. Verses 13 and 14. Surrounding verses 13 and 14, we see another description of the wicked. They are malicious. They repay for evil. They tear at David. They gnash their teeth at him. They are violent. What would be your reaction against such a lot? Tit for tat? What kind of care or what kind of concern would you have for someone that wants to see you dead, that wants to destroy you, that wants to take your life? We often think that the climax of this psalm should come at the end, but really it's right here in the middle. Because what is it that the Lord's anointed does with all of this evil that's being directed towards him? But when they were sick, but when my enemies were sick, when they were down and out, I wore sackcloth. I mourned for them. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about though I was grieved for a friend or for a brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. You think about that. Who would do that? Who would do that for their enemy? When their enemies are coming against them and surrounding them and wanting to kill them, that they would pray and mourn and love their enemies. But isn't this precisely what Jesus Christ has done? When he prayed these words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus loved his enemies. And this is where the whole psalm is turned on its head because come to find out we are the enemies that Jesus loved. Listen to Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Did you hear that? For while we were enemies. That is all of sinful mankind. We are all God's enemies. But that is the, uh, a crucial point for the gospel, isn't it? That we understand we were enemies. We were those going against God and against God's ways. But yet he loved us by sending his own son to die on the cross to take our sin upon himself for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be guilt-free, so that we now could follow in Christ's footsteps as those who love our enemies. That we could do what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You have heard it said, you shall love your enemy, or you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Are we willing to love our enemies? Are we willing to love our enemies 
like we love ourselves. Are we willing to pray for them? Are we willing to mourn for them? Like a, the closest relative. Would we even tell them the gospel? The truth of who God is and his love. And that they don't have to stay enemies of God. But that they can find eternal life in Jesus Christ. Would we ever counsel anyone this way? Or would we rather say, you have every right to be upset and angry and hold a grudge? That's not what the Lord's anointed did. Because if Jesus should have held a grudge against anybody, it should have been me. But he didn't. That brings us to our last point. The Lord's anointed brings pleasure in his righteousness. The Lord's anointed brings pleasure in his righteousness. This comes at the very end of Psalm 35. I love this. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord. You see what, what David is calling the, the people who are singing this song to do? He's saying, I am the Lord's anointed. I am the righteous. Delight in my righteousness. Now we know, was David perfect? No, he was not perfect. But David was pointed to another king. Another one who was the true Lord's anointed, who was completely and perfectly righteous. David is showing us something here. He's saying, you can delight in another person's righteousness. And we know now that the only person's righteousness that we can delight in is the one who was perfectly righteous, Jesus Christ. And yet I fear this is... This is the danger for us, dear brother or sister. Because my fear is that we delight in our own righteousness. We delight in our own way. Let me apply it to something that hits close to home. There are many different thoughts about COVID-19. And I'm not here this morning to pick on anyone, and I don't really care where you are on that spectrum this morning. Because what I found in my own heart, in my own life, is that I can tend to think more about why I'm right than to be delighting in my Savior's righteousness. What do you spend more time thinking about? 
Do you spend your time thinking about how you are right? Do you spend time thinking about your own righteousness? Or do you delight in Jesus' righteousness? I could be completely wrong, but guess what? It doesn't matter because Jesus Christ is my righteousness. I don't need to be right. I don't care if I'm right. As long as I know Jesus' righteousness, then everything is all right. Let me ask you this. Do you care about how your brother and how your sister delight in Jesus' righteousness? Do you encourage them towards that end? Do you, do you say, delight in Jesus' righteousness? Delight in the fact that he has paid it all? Delight in the fact that he is the one who has saved you? Delight in the fact that it's not your own goodness that gets you anywhere in this life? And let that be a barometer for your life this morning. If you're not leading other people to delight in Jesus' righteousness, maybe it's time to take stock in your own heart and in your own soul. Am I really delighting in Jesus' righteousness? That is what brings us together. That is what unifies us. Because I'm not delighting in myself and you're not delighting in yourself. We're delighting in Jesus Christ together. What's better than that? For the Christian, nothing. And so then we say, great is the Lord who delights in his servant, Jesus Christ. Is that what your life is saying? Is that what you're saying with your life? Great is the Lord. And that we say that with shouts of joy and gladness, and we say that forevermore. How about this? Let's just apply it very practically right now. Let's say that together. And as we say that, as we say, simple phrase, great is the Lord, that's it. Four words, right? Great is the Lord. That that might be a prayer for you right now. A prayer for your heart. If you would say, I haven't been delighting in Jesus Christ and his righteousness the way that I should be. Let those words be words of commitment in your heart, in your life. And let other people hear that. And as you hear other people say that, take it in that there are other people who are delighting in Jesus' righteousness with you and are committing to rejoice in Jesus' righteousness with you. And that we rejoice in the fact that we've been saved and as we rejoice in the fact that we've been saved, it leads to greater growth. It leads to greater sanctification. It leads to greater love for one another. And so, let's say it because we believe it. I'll count to three, and then we'll say it together. On the count of three. One, two, three, and then we'll say it. All right? If you believe that the Lord is great and you're committing to delight in Christ's righteousness, would you say this with me? One, two, three. Great is the Lord. Let's pray.
Father, use your word in us today. That we might be those who delight in Christ's righteousness. If there is anyone here today who has heard this word and would say, I am an enemy of God. I'm not for God, I'm against God. I'm not doing what God says. I'm, I'm completely sinning against him in every way in my life. The Lord, if there's anyone here today who would say, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow Jesus. I want to delight in his righteousness. I'm tired of delighting in my own self and in my own thoughts of thinking that I'm right and good enough. Lord, I pray today that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They would give their lives to him. They would find newness of life and joy. Father, we need you to do this work in us. I pray that we would be those people who are delighting in Christ's righteousness. I pray that we would be those people who have Christ at the forefront of our minds. That he would have preeminence in our lives. And so that there would be loud shouts of joy and gladness in our lives as we say, great is the Lord. We pray this all in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.